We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today. Presented by my good friends at Window Nation. Uh, right now, Window Nation's offering up 0% financing for five years and buy two, get two free on any style of window. If you've been thinking about new windows, I really would urge you to give them at least a chance. They'll give you a free estimate. You can shop the deal. You'll save 30% on your energy bills. You'll increase the value of your home. Window Nation's a great company to work with. I've been working with them for over 14 years now. Uh, They've installed nearly 2 million windows with 96% perfection, making them one of the top window companies in the country. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go online at windownation.com. Mention my name. You get a free estimate. And the deal is a good one. 0% financing for five years. You're not going to pay any interest until the year 2028. And you'll pay half price on your windows, getting two free for every two you buy. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Uh, two guests on the show today. Nikki Javala from the Washington Post will be on with me next segment. We'll get to Nikki and talk uh, sale, but talk mostly about the football team coming up here shortly. And then at the end of the show uh, is our good friend Eddie C. from down in Florida. Uh, Eddie C. will help us preview the Kentucky Derby, the first of the Triple Crown races tomorrow at Churchill Downs. Eddie C. will have his uh, derby pick for all of you, and I'm sure an exacta, a trifecta, a superfecta, or five as well. Um, So we'll get to him at the end of the show. I wanted to start with just the NBA game last night. The Warriors demolished the Lakers 127 to 120. Now, I did not see the game in its entirety. I was actually last night, uh, I was at that Fight for Children event at the Anthem down at the Wharf. Thank you, by the way, um, to Howard and Michelle, Howard Gutman and his wife, Michelle, for having us uh, at their table. That was very kind to them. We had a great time, great night. Uh, Among those honored uh, were... Uh, the Washington Spirit, uh, the women's soccer team uh, in town, uh, the congressional baseball game, Ryan Zimmerman uh, was honored. Ryan Zimmerman, by the way, gave a great speech. Um, uh, But it was a great night. Saw so many people down there, many of you. um, It was good to meet uh, several of you last night. Um, 
And uh, that's always nice uh, to run into people who listen to the show. Uh, but great night last night. But I missed the uh, first half of the Warriors-Lakers game. And by the time I got to it in the third quarter, the Warriors were pulling away. But I, I said yesterday on the show, I really like the Warriors laying the points. It went to 7-7 seven, seven and a half. Um, this was just, you know, kind of what the Lakers did against Memphis in their first series after winning the opening game. They basically hid in game two to rest. Now, LeBron didn't hide necessarily in the game. Uh, But Anthony Davis, man, uh, Anthony Davis is way up there on the list of the most impactful players in the game. I mean, when he is at his best, he is a top five player in the NBA. And he was at his best in game one, 30 points, 23 rebounds. Last night, 11 points, 7 rebounds in 33 minutes. And this is what happens, or he gets hurt. Now, again, LeBron came out and played well last night, um, but they were obliterated by a smaller lineup. The Warriors went small. They took Kevon uh, Kevon Looney out of the starting lineup. Uh, They put Jermichael Green uh, into the starting lineup. The Lakers apparently don't realize, uh, this going back to game one, that Jermichael Green can actually shoot it. Um, He was 6-9 from the floor, 3-6 from behind the arc. Um, Clay was outstanding last night, 8 for 11 from behind the three-point line, and the Warriors have it all square uh, with the Lakers. And Saturday night in prime time, I am looking forward to that one. Uh, That will be a a huge, pivotal kind of a game in that series. I mean, the Warriors will have, you know, three chances potentially to win a road game to get this back on track in terms of home field advantage. I still think what I said yesterday, I think if Anthony Davis plays at the level uh, that he played in game one, uh, five times that the Lakers win the series, that they'll get to four. The the Warriors might win one of those games that he dominates the way he dominated uh, because they're that good. Um, but I think if he can play that way five times, I think the Lakers will win the series. And I picked the Warriors before the series started. I'm not hedging. I'll stick with my Warriors pick in seven games. But uh, Draymond guarded uh, you know, Davis last night, and it's a different cover for Golden State. Uh, Kevon Looney really isn't he, – look, he's a tremendous rebounder, a tremendous offensive rebounder, but he just doesn't have the feet to be able to stay in front of Anthony Davis, not as, you know, when Davis takes him out to, you know, 15 feet. Um, and Draymond does. Draymond's just an incredible defender. He had an outstanding game last night, Draymond did. 11 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, a steal – um, and uh, did a phenomenal job on Anthony Davis. But that series resumes Saturday night, and that should be one hell of a game. Uh, before we get to Nikki on the show today, I did want to mention something um, real quickly that I saw on CBSSports.com. It was a story written by Cody Benjamin where he ranked all 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. All of the 32 that are projected starters. And, you know, it starts with Patrick Mahomes at number one overall. Nobody would disagree with that. He's got Joe Burrow number two. You know, nobody's really going to put a massive fight up for that. 
He's got Jalen Hurts at three. I think that's too high. I would have Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, and quite frankly, Aaron Rodgers, if he plays the way I think he'll play this year, ahead of Jalen Hurts. But Jalen Hurts is in the conversation of a top-five quarterback. He's got Josh Allen at four, Justin Herbert at five. He's got Aaron Rodgers at six, Lamar Jackson at seven. He's got Trevor Lawrence at eight. Dak Prescott at nine, to me, is just too high. I mean, I've got to put... Prescott back uh, several notches from where people have had him in recent years, which is right around the top 10. And Cody Benjamin from CBS Sports continues to keep him in the top 10. I don't see it that way. Um, He's got Deshaun Watson at 10. Look, I had Deshaun Watson before all of the, you know, nonsense um, of him uh, and his behavior. I had him, you know, starting to butt up against the best in the game at somewhere between five and seven. He's got him at 10. We'll see what happens with Watson this year. We don't know what that year took out of him, you know, personally, psychologically. Uh, physically, at the end of last year, he didn't look like himself with the exception of the Washington game. But that's Cody Benjamin's top 10. Kirk Cousins comes in at 11. Uh, Brock Purdy at 12. I think that's awfully high for Brock Purdy. Jared Goff at 13. Geno Smith at 14. J- Daniel Jones at 15. And Justin Fields at 16. Uh, look, I'll get to where Sam Howell is here in a moment. But think about this. Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, Jared Goff, and Brock Purdy all considered now, and you'll understand why here in a moment, as top half of the league starting quarterbacks. I actually believe in Justin Fields. I believe in Daniel Jones. I don't know what we'll get from Geno Smith, but Jared Goff is in a really good system for him. Um, I don't know what to make of Brock Purdy. He's obviously better than the, you know, Mr. Irrelevant last pick in the 2022 draft. He's also very much a beneficiary or a product of an incredible system and an incredible team around him. But there's a quarterback that's not in the top half of the quarterbacks mentioned here that to me is completely off base, and that's Tua. Tua, I understand, has maybe the best array of weapons in the league, but two is a top half of the league quarterback when he's healthy. And that's a big if understood. Like I'd have Tua ahead of Justin Fields. I would have him ahead of Geno Smith. I would have him ahead of Brock Purdy, you know, at the very least he's at 17 on this list. And then you get into Matt Stafford. And the reason he's at 18 isn't because of what Matt Stafford can be. It's because he had a very serious injury. You know, he had a very serious elbow injury, and nobody knows what he will look like next year. Russell Wilson came in at 19. Look, I think with Sean Payton, he may start to climb that list again. I've not given up on Russell Wilson. Kyler Murray's at 20. I mean, I think Kyler Murray in a lot of the rankings of quarterbacks this time last year was probably close to top 10. Then it's Bryce Young. Derek Carr at 22. That's pretty low for Derek Carr. Jimmy Garoppolo at 23. Jordan Love at 24. That seems high for a guy that hadn't played at all. Ryan Tannehill. Then we get more rookies. Anthony Richardson Richardson and C.J. Stroud. And then we get into, um, in the final five quarterbacks, three guys in year two. All right. Kenny Pickett comes in at 28. 
Mac Jones at 29, Baker Mayfield at 30, and then you get two other guys that are in year two. Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter. What was the order? Desmond Ritter was 31. And the last-ranked quarterback in Cody Benjamin from CBSSports.com's list of the projected 32 starting quarterbacks in the league is Sam Howell. He writes, he flashed a big arm in a Week 18 start, and the commanders seemed to like the gutsy mentality. They also saw it with Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. But the 2022 fifth-rounder is wholly unproven otherwise. That's true. Everything there is true. Um, I don't know if he should be higher than 32, if he should be higher than Desmond Ritter or Mac Jones or any of the rookies that haven't played a down yet. It's an I-don't-know situation. I mean, this is what we've talked about. Will tweeted me, Kevin, you're spot on about Sam Howell's last year at North Carolina being used as a crutch to explain away his draft position, which is what I talked to Tommy about on the podcast yesterday, which is that this idea that Sam Howell dropped in the draft because his stats weren't as good as they were in his next to last year at North Carolina because he lost all of his weapons is stupid. It's just not true. First of all, the stats aren't that much different. You could make the case that with the increased rushing yards, which was the big difference statistically for him, he rushed for well over 800 yards, like 500 yards more than the year before. You could have made the case that he should have been more valuable to scouts. That's just not, you know, you don't drop four and a half rounds um, when you're a projected very high pick because you lost some weapons. They know that he lost the weapons. They're not going off of stats because of lost weapons and then dropping them four and a half rounds. So I made that case yesterday, and Will tweeted, you know, you're spot on about Sam Howell's last year at North Carolina being used as a crutch to explain away his draft position, but, and here comes the but, I think some of us believe that you think it matters to the point where you don't want to give him a shot. QB is the number one need, which I suggested during the offseason. No, they addressed that with the later round quarterback pick last year on Sam Howell. And so far, they like what they've seen. Let's relax and give Sam a chance. Okay, I'm going to give him a chance. I'm not discounting the, the possibility that he turns out to be a guy. I just think the odds that he's the guy, the franchise guy, are really long. Um, but I liked some of what I saw. And by the way, we're, we're past the point of wishing for something different. They have who they have. It's Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. Now, I still think there's a chance Brissett could end up starting. But anyway, the bottom line is he's wholly unproven. And if Cody Benjamin's right and he's number 32 out of 32, they're going to win five or six games next year, maybe seven. Their defense is too good for me to think that they're going to be awful. But if he's really 32, and it's clear that he's 32, uh, they're going to move to Jacoby Brissett at some point. I don't think he'll be the worst starting quarterback in the league, but I don't know, nor do you. It's been the point all along. By the way, my bookie's got a great uh, offer for you right now. They've got boosted odds with the my bookie money bag. Um, you can take advantage of that, uh, which you can do by using my promo code at mybookie.com or mybookie.ag, and my promo code is KevinDC. Sign up today and bet 
with house money. Uh, Grab yourself a welcome bonus on your first deposit. They've got everything you need for UFC 288. It's a matchup between Sahedo and Sterling. Uh, This is something that you'll get every opportunity to bet in every different way. Use my promo code at MyBookie where you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere. All right, up next, Nikki Javala from the Washington Post will be my guest right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, jumping on with me right now, as promised, is Nikki Javala. Of course, Nikki does a terrific job uh, as the reporter covering the team for the Washington Post. And uh, you had the news earlier, and we'll get to you know the breaking news of the day, Chase Rouillet, uh released, not a surprise. But I wanted to start with just where you think we are. You've been involved in some of this reporting with Mark Maskey and others. Where are we? Like, what stage are we in um, in the sale process? Yeah, I think it's it. This one's different. It's different than previous franchise sales, um, and perhaps that should have been expected um, given the ownership situation. But um, so the the stage is not in within the traditional um, ratification process. This is one that will probably be approved in stages. Um, you know, they, the general terms of the bid have been sent over to the finance committee for vetting. I, you know, they could get preliminary approval on some parts, but they'll have holes to fill in on others. There are some issues that need to be resolved before it can be finally put up for a vote and ratified by the full membership. Um, but we're still at the stage that we were, you know, that really a week ago and that, you know, the finance committee has seen the basic terms of the bid. Um, Josh Harris's group still seems to be adding LPs to their group um, and still working on that part of it. There could be other issues at play, too, like the indemnification issue. Um, so it's still not signed or exclusive yet, but all indications are that, you know, this group led by Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails will be the one that is ultimately signed and then, you hope, ratified by the rest of the league. I can't imagine they wouldn't ratify it. Um, it, it looks like the major parts are okay. Um, they just need to iron out some details. I've described it, and tell me if you think this is accurate, that we've gotten to the point where Harris is the guy, Harris and the league are fine, Harris and Snyder 
are fine, that this is an issue between Snyder and the league. And you guys have kind of alluded to that in your writing. Um, And I would just ask you specifically beyond the indemnification, because in a recent story, you know, the Mary Jo White investigation was brought up uh, as, you know, something that's out there and needs to be resolved and resolved, I, I would imagine, between Snyder and the league. What do you think is right now being negotiated, for the lack of a better description, between Dan and the league? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it could be along those lines. I think when we talk about indemn- with the indemnification piece, it's actually two parts. It's, you know, you usually have the buyer indemnify the seller to a certain point. Um, but in this case, Dan has also asked the league and other owners to indemnify him, and the league has turned and said, absolutely not. You should be the one to right. indemnify us. So that is sort of the second part that, you know, could be, you know, really negotiate out as, as far as, you know, the specifics of what they're really asking for each side. You know, I'm not sure we'll ever know that. I'm not sure we'll, they'll ever tell us that specifically, but, you know, that's certainly one of the issues that could be going on right now. Do you think that the Mary Jo White investigation is part of this at all? Do you think he's concerned about them, you know, following through with what they said, which was to be totally transparent with it? Or do you think that that's not a part of this? I I don't know that it's a part of that to, you know, as whether, I mean, they said multiple times they're going to release the report. And I don't think they can go back on it, especially after everything that happened with the Wilkinson report and, you know, their decision, the league's decision to have it. Um, as sort of an oral findings and present a summarization of it um, to the public. So they're going to release a report. Now, is it part of it in that, you know, they they don't disclose the full report? You know, again, that may not be something we ever really know. Um, but as far as, you know, there being a report or no report, I don't think that's, that's not a consideration right now. Do you have any kind of gut, feeling on what kind of owner Josh Harris and his group will be? Yeah, I mean, I I think you can kind of look at what they've done with the Sixers and the Devils um, to a degree, you know, different leagues, different sport, obviously. I, you know, based on kind of what the, thing, the things they've done there, they've, you know, they've hired a staff and they delegate, but they're involved to a certain point. Um, you know, Josh Harris seems to be very invested in this and to have his third team, you know, he does own a piece of the Steelers, which he'll have to sell off. But, you know, I, I would expect him to be involved. I don't know that he'll be involved on the day-to-day transactions and what quarterback they draft or that type of thing. A lot of this we're going to find out as we go along because he's never really been involved to, with an NFL team to this degree. So um, we'll see. But, I, you know, I, I think the fact that both of his teams the devils and you know the the 76ers are in the playoffs are pretty promising signs what do you think the first thing he'll do is like you know at this point right mm-hmm. do you agree with me that making any significant football moves other than maybe to hire you know a head of football operations or a gm to kind of evaluate mm-hmm. for him um you know do you think anybody on the business side would be immediately in trouble yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I agree with you, and I don't know this based on – I haven't heard anything along these lines. I mean, it's still a ways from that. Um, but I would imagine, you know, you would start with maybe trying to get a GM or some sort of overseer of the business operations there. Um, Jason Wright is currently the team president, but it's kind of a different setup with, you know, ownership kind of detached from the regular uh, business operations. So 
I think he'll want to assess kind of where they are business-wise as, as well as football, and that could be done over the next season. Um, and then start to make some moves. You know, how, how broad it'll be, we'll see. Um, I don't think anything would surprise me, given the things that need to be changed, but I would imagine that the business operations are first and foremost for them, um, just kind of establishing the structure, the people they want, um, and the overall workflow. I mean, Jason clearly seems to be publicly um, lobbying to continue in either that job or even perhaps get more responsibility, it would seem, even <laughs> yeah. on the football side, right? You feel that way. Not exactly discreet with it, yeah. No, not yeah. at all. Um, I, I mean, I, I actually have been, and I think I talked about this the other day, Nikki. I, I'm surprised at how direct he has been publicly about what a windfall uh, and what a glorious day it's going to be when Dan and Tanya are finally gone, because you know there's there will be so much interest in in you know paying for tickets and suites. And I mean, I'm not saying that he's wrong. In fact, I think he's right. But it's it's been interesting to see how um, you know non subtle he's been about it. Right. Yeah, and I think it's one thing to say that. Can you prove it um, is another thing. Um, but also, I think, you know, everybody right now is you're trying to, trying to save yourself, you know, and everybody's in sort of that prove it mode. Yeah, I don't blame Same them. For the business, uh, the business football operations, yeah. So I think they're all trying to, like, you know, prove themselves to this next group, show why you they should want to keep them and why they're an important piece. So I, you know, I don't. I, I, I don't knock Jason at all for going that route, and it makes sense if he's doing it. Um, but that's that's just kind of been my sense from afar. Is you know everybody's trying to show that this is why you need me. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you I, like I, I want to get to football, and I'm going to here in a moment. But you covered the Broncos for a while, and you know there was a time many, many years ago where the Broncos fan base and the Redskins fan base were comparable. They were at the top of the list, you know, in terms of true, passionate, loyal fan bases. Denver just went through a sale. You weren't necessarily covering the Broncos mm-hmm. during that sale. You were here already. And now this mm-hmm. franchise is going through a similar thing. But um, Harris is buying something completely different than the Walton Penner group because mm-hmm. he's buying an NFL team in a really attractive market, but with a fan base that it has, you know, perhaps half to two thirds left. That's that never happened with the Broncos fan base. So I'm curious as somebody who has seen these kinds of markets and probably followed the Walton Penner sale to a certain degree. Do you think that the fan base just automatically comes back because Dan is gone? Fully no. I think there will be more people in the stands, but keeping them there will be dependent on the wins. You know, I, I look at the Broncos as like, it's like buying, you know, a 15-year-old house. You know, it's turnkey, but you're going to have to make some renovations, right? Whereas this is like buying a 1960s project that you're going to have to really gut and really do some major work to. Um, so, you know, it, it's going to draw interest initially, but you got to find a way to keep them there. you got to find a way to draw even more fans. you got to get the fans back that are so adamant about, you know, not rooting for the team. Um, find a way to get them back in the stands. It's not going to be easy, and I don't think the ownership change alone will, will fix that. Um, 
you know, I, I think if they have a dud of a season or even a mediocre one again, I, I think it's going to make it even more difficult. Um, so it's, winning changes everything. <laughs> um, and until they do that, it's, I, I think it's going to be a struggle. Right. Um, all right, let's talk some football. So they cut Chase Rouye. That's not a surprise. Do you think Norwell's next? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm honestly surprised that hasn't happened already. Um, but Chase really, it was more significant in my mind just because he was a centerpiece, you know, a year ago. Right. Uh, unfortunately, just he's had just such unfortunate luck with the injuries, you know, two season ending injuries in consecutive seasons. And, you know, then they signed Nick Gates and they draft Ricky Stromberg. That so was inevitable. Um, and he knew it. And, if there's any silver lining for him out of this, it's that he's fully healthy, and hopefully something materializes pretty quickly for him. Is Nick Gates the starting center, assuming health? Yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. Um, do you think Kendall Fuller is a candidate to be released? I think it's possible. I think Campbell's will kind of show where they are with that. I think a lot of it is dependent on where their younger guys are at. You know, can Emmanuel Forbes play right away? I mean, certainly you want that in a first-round pick. Um, but Kendall Fuller is their top veteran back there, arguably their top DB outside of Cam Curl. Um, so, you know, I think it's inevitable that they're going to move away from him at some point. How, how quickly, I think it's, it's really going to depend on the development of the young guys. It's interesting to me because I, I, I was asked about this like earlier in the week and I said, no chance. You know, he's smart. Um, he's actually made a lot of plays. He's versatile. And, you know, he is one of those guys that they they view as, you know, a good culture guy. And even though it would be a significant savings, you know, they, they're they unproven. Benjamin St. Juice, you know, misses games. They've got a rookie on the other side. Right. Um, but you're now, I mean, even Ben told me this morning on radio that, you know, he thinks that it's in play as well. I'm actually very surprised, um, at that. Um, what didn't they get, uh, in the off season to date, uh, which is pretty much, you know, three fourths of the off season, four fifths of it that they really wanted. I mean, I, I'm surprised they didn't draft a tackle. I mean, I thought they were going to. I mean, I know they wanted to add help to the offensive line. They did in free agency with Andrew Wiley and getting more versatile guys, you know, but Braden Daniels is more of an inside guy. Uh, Ron said he'll, he'll start to compete outside of tackle, but I think ultimately he'll move inside. So they didn't get, they didn't get reinforcement at tackle. And I look at Charles Leno, who has really a year left on his deal, is um, getting older. Um, Cornelius Lucas is back. But there's no real succession plan there on either edge in their premium position. So I was very surprised they didn't draft a tackle, especially knowing Sam Howell is taking over. You got to protect your young guy. Um, so that was the big glaring one to me. As far as quarterback, I could have gone either way. I think it would have, you know, they've been pumping up Sam Howell so much to this point that it didn't really surprise if they were going to add it, be late. And at that point, okay, you know, I'm not going to, no offense to the, you know, a seventh round quarterback but I'm not just he's not going to jump it and start now how they traded up for like an Anthony Richardson type that would have been an absolute game changer but um, it was more the the tackle the no you know the the non-move at tackle that kind of surprised me right um do you think if Darnell Wright the kid from Tennessee had dropped to 16 they would have taken him instead of Forbes 
Uh, that's a good question. Maybe. I know they really, they really, really liked Manuel Forbes. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. It's a, it's a maybe. All right. I could see it going. Yeah. Way. How's it going so far for Eric Bieniemy? I think it's been okay. I haven't heard any complaints from over there. I mean, he's in an interesting position, you know. I mean, he's really trying to prove himself as a future head coach, but also prove himself to stay with his next ownership group and, and work with a bunch of young guys on this team, a young quarterback. Um, you know, and after working so long with Patrick Mahomes and guys like Travis Kelsey, he's he's kind of working on, I don't want to say a project because this is a well-built team. they got skill players, but it's definitely a different type of team. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think it's an interesting opportunity for him. Um, I'm surprised there weren't others this, you know, through this cycle as he came out of Kansas City, but, you know, he has a chance to maybe not just stick around as OC, but depending on what Ron decides in his future here, maybe become head coach here. So I think he sees that. I think everybody sees that. And it's, you know, again, it comes back to winning. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so interesting with Biennemi, right? Because I actually, and I've said this many times, I think that this is a much bigger year for him than it is for Rivera. Because I think if if it doesn't work out for Rivera, yeah. that's the end. You know, he's not going to coach anymore. Right. He's not going to get another head coaching opportunity. And, I, you know, I don't even know that it would really bother him or crush him that much. I'm not, you know, questioning right. his competitiveness. But I think he, you know, he's not, he can probably see the handwriting on the wall if he doesn't have a great season. And, you know, given everything he's gone through and everything he's been through here, it's one thing. You know, Eric Bieniemy wants to be a head coach, so that's why when I start right. thinking about him, there's two ways in which he proves himself. One is this offense is elevated to a much higher level than it's ever been, and if it is, this team will win. Or he develops this, you know, quarterback who is kind of a project. Um, you know, the team offensively isn't a project, but the quarterback is. It's hard to describe him as anything other than that at this point. But there's so much progress shown that that's a win for him too. Which route do you think is most likely for him if I were to say at the end of next year he succeeded and people viewed him as, you know, head coach capable? Yeah, that's a good question. I wish I had the answer. Um, I I think he will be given more time than I'm in the best way to word this, but maybe more time than others to really prove himself. It's not just a coordinator. Um, we already know he's called plays, um, but to fully run the offense and to maybe fully run a team than perhaps others on staff. I think he's his resume coming from Kansas City, I think is still very intriguing and will remain so even after this year. Yeah, they got to win, but I think perhaps he gets maybe a little bit more of a pass as being new and coming into a brand new team, whereas other coaches who may have been here for quite some time and have had time to develop some of these younger guys. That's just my opinion. Whether it's true or not, we'll see. It's all dependent on this new ownership group and what they envision. Sure. Um, but I, I could see them giving him more of a chance, be it more time in OC to develop into head coach or to quickly turn into a head coach if things change in the year. Right, but what's his best path to that? Is it, you know, we'll, and we don't know because we don't know enough about Sam Howell, but it's possible. Right. Right. Like, do you give it a, a, do you give the, give it a chance, which, which I do, 
that Mm -hmm. ultimately he says, wait a minute, Jacoby Brissett is just so far beyond where where Sam Mm -hmm. is, and he gives us a chance to really compete with the weapons we have around him and with the defense, et cetera, and that that Jacoby Brissett ends up being the quarterback that starts the majority of games. That would not surprise me. I know everybody has convinced themselves that Sam Howell is the starter. He may very well be. He's going to give every chance to be. But they have not fully ruled out Jacoby Brissett. And given the way he played last year in Cleveland, it's very possible. The guy just has more experience. So that would not surprise me at all. And if he feels he's a better quarterback, I think the enemy has full leeway to make that decision. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I think that's um, – I think you're spot on. All right, last one. Um what does Chase Young have to do this year? Obviously, they don't love him. Um, what are the chances you think he ends up having the kind of year that changes their minds in you know, a different way, but it is somewhat similar to the way Deron Payne uh, changed their mind? Yeah, I think the, the ball in his court. I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but you know, I think it's kind of on him. you got to produce, first and foremost, and I think it's going to come down to whether Montez or Chase produce. Who appears to be the better long-term fit, the better long-term answer there is probably going to be the one to stay on a longer-term deal. Um, kind of a cold business in that way, but, you know. Well, what's what your is, prediction? Season, I think he'll step up, and I think it'll be just enough that they extend him. You know, it may not be enough in the eyes of fans. They'll probably want more, but I think it'll be just enough. And the fact that he's a number two pick from this regime, I think he'll get, he'll get more time. Nikki does such a great job covering the team for the post. Uh, follow Nikki on Twitter at Nikki N I C K I J H A B V A L A on Twitter. Uh, it's always good to catch up. Hope you're well, and let's talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Nikki's great. She does a great job. Uh, let's get to tomorrow, which is Kentucky Derby Day, with our good friend Eddie C from down in Florida. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, it's the first Saturday in May uh, tomorrow, and that means the Kentucky Derby. And back to give us a breakdown of the race and a pick or two is Eddie C. Uh, Eddie C's from here, but lives down south. You can follow him on Twitter at Notebook Picks. Uh, it's Notebook Picks by Eddie C. Uh, last year, of course. Uh, we had an unbelievable uh, Kentucky Derby with Rich Strike. Um, got in after a late str- scratch, won at eighty to one, paid one hundred and sixty three dollars and sixty cents. Um, and this year we've got three late stra- late scratches. Uh, Eddie, is there another Rich Strike who can win as a late entry? Do we have another stunner for tomorrow? Well, hey, Kevin, I uh, hope you're doing well. Appreciate you having me on again. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is one of my favorite weekends of the year. You know, it's like it's the Masters, this, the NCAA uh, March Madness, and uh, opening day baseball and opening day NFL. So I'm, I'm pumped, man. This is awesome. So uh, we actually had another late scratch this morning. Uh, the nine-horse Skinner also scratched. And um, it's kind of crazy what's going on. There might be a couple other ones. But just a quick review on last year, you know, when we taped last year, when we did the podcast last year, um, Rich Strike wasn't in the field. Yeah. And the two horses I gave came second and third. So I, I, I kind of feel like a gut punch there. <laughs> we were looking we were looking good coming down the stretch. Well, would you have changed your picks had you known Rich Strike was in the field? A hundred percent, strictly because Rich Strike is out of a sire lineage pedigree line that I follow religiously, and all the listeners will know this, it's out of the Deputy Minister Sire line. And uh, I ended up using him very little, but um, not, I mean, because I didn't realize he was in the race up until like an hour before the race. I mean, I I just never even thought that he was going to be in the race. And he was put in on Friday, but I I had already made all my picks. And then somebody told me he was in, and I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't even know. Uh, that so, I mean, uh, yeah. I would have I would have made it a little bit bigger of a selection, but uh, regardless, this year is there another rich strike to answer the question? Probably um, not, right? Can I answer that as somebody who, somebody who understands odds to a certain degree? The chances are pretty remote that we're going to have an eighty to one or come through. Right, you might you might get a twenty or thirty to one shot, especially just because of these late scratches you got. You know, the way the, the Derby works, just real quickly, is um, 20 horses typically run in the race, but you always have like 22, 23, sometimes 24 horses entered. And those extra horses are what's called also eligibles. And what happens is if a horse scratches, one of the also eligibles jumps in. Well, this year there was 23 horses, and all three of the also eligibles jumped in, and all three of them, morning line, are uh 20 to 1, 30 to 1, and 50 to 1. Now, are they going to go off at those odds? Probably not. Uh, can any of those three win? 
I think one of them has a really good chance to win, and that's the one that's at twenty to one. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But yeah, I don't I don't see an eighty to one shot winning this year. No. Um, tell me about the number fifteen horse. Is it Fort or Forte? It's Forte. This horse uh, has won six of seven races, uh, five in a row. Was the two year old champion uh, Colt. Uh, won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Classic and has run twice this year, has won both races, looked very good. Um, I'm going to try to beat him uh, primarily because, uh, well, there's a couple reasons. I, I, one is I like one horse a lot, and the other reason is uh, yesterday he, he kind of took a little bit of a bad step galloping around the track, and you know I saw the video of it, and I've watched it a few times, and I've talked to a few people. And it's, um, you know, this horse could win and could turn out to be a super horse. But I'm going to try to beat it because I think he's going to be bet down a little too low, five to two, two to one. And I'm looking for value when I play the Derby. So, all right, well, tell me where the value is. Well, um, the horse I like is Morning Line is five to one. It's a horse called Tappet Trice. I like this. I've been on this horse uh, since I saw him. Uh, since I saw him win his first race, I wasn't there personally, but I but uh, I watched him on TV, and he's won. He lost his first race, and he's won four in a row. And uh, he just ran, uh, won the Bluegrass race in uh, Keeneland, which is right around the corner from Louisville. And this horse is really good. Todd Pletcher is the trainer. Luis Saez, and just real quickly on this, he's the jockey. Mm-hmm. Luis Saez jumped. He he gave up a mount on maybe the best filly in the country called Secret Oath, who ran against the boys, I think, in the Pimlico last year in, in, in the Preakness. He gave up the mount on that horse to stay on this horse and uh, because he said that I think this is my Triple Crown winning or my Kentucky Derby horse. And he stayed on him, and I've seen him work out. I've followed him. I've watched the replays, really liked the horse. He's my he's my top pick, but if, I will say this is a really tough race. There's a lot of horses. <laughs> There's this is a tough race, man. How many horses are in this race again? Well, right now because of that late scratch on on um, uh, this morning, there's 19 listed. What's what's the largest number of horses that you could actually run in a, in a Kentucky Derby? Twenty. Twenty's the most. Um, yeah, how- they, they typically typically at any other track it's fourteen because the gate is fourteen. And for many years, the Kentucky Derby they had what's called an auxiliary gate, right. so they had fourteen, and then they had an additional gate. Well, a few years ago, Kentucky purchased, you know, because European horses they have tons of horses running races. They purchased a twenty uh, a, a twenty panel gate, so now twenty p- twenty horses are all on the same gate. But that's the maximum they can do it. Eddie C is with us. We're talking Derby uh, tomorrow. Um, is there a horse going into this Triple Crown season that you know you think is a legitimate Triple Crown threat? Well, obviously, <clears throat> depending. Yeah, I, I think there's three or four potentially. I mean, obviously, you have to win the Kentucky Derby. 
Forte has done nothing wrong. I've said that I'm going to try to beat him. You know, and, and for those that um, are wondering and, and, and maybe write, writing down some numbers, Forte's uh, the 15, 15 horse. horse, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the, the, race, the, the horse um, that you think will actually go off as the favorite at like five to two, right? Yeah, I, I mean he's he's three to one morning line. I think he's going to get that down a little bit. I don't think he's going to go off at like below two to one, okay. but you never know. You never know where the wise guy money goes or where the you know the computer money's going because right now that's a big contention that there's so much computer money going in. What's interesting is there's two Japanese horses in this race, and you know. For those that don't follow horse racing as closely as I do, the Japanese horses have been winning everywhere. They've been winning in the U.S. They've been winning in Japan. They won the big races in Saudi Arabia and in Dubai. And um, this horse, uh, the 17 horse, it's called Derma Sotogaki. Um, morning line, he's 10 to 1. I believe he's going to get that down quite a bit. I had him in my top two selections top two, top three, but I kind of bumped him down a little bit just because, you know, he traveled to Japan, from Japan to Dubai, back to Japan, and now over to the East Coast. Even though he's been in Kentucky for almost a month, that's just a lot of, that takes a lot out of a horse. So, um, but if he wins, because he won the Dubai, uh, the Dubai race, he could be a, a special horse. You know, and then there's another horse, the six called King's Barn, He's three for three. He hasn't lost ever. Is that a, is that a Japanese horse? Kings Barnes is not a Japanese okay. horse. He's 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 an American horse, but he's he's only run three times, and he all three races this year. And there's <clears throat> it's really hard to win the Derby when you haven't run as a two year old and get some seasoning. Um, the other horse a lot of people like, and I like too, is the fourteen horse, which is Angel of Empire. Um, but, um, and then the other Japanese horse is the 22 Mandarin hero. And this horse has run once in the U S ran over in California, uh, just missed winning that race, ran a huge race. And I think he's got a big chance. So, all right, I've gone over a lot. So shall we get to it or you got something well, else? I wanted to ask you, who's the best trainer, um, in this race tomorrow and who's the best jockey? Wow. Well, <clears throat> let's look at it this way. Um, Pletcher's got Pletcher a bunch is, of horses, it looks like. Well, Brad Cox actually has uh, four horses in the race. Wow. And um, Todd Pletcher, I believe, has three horses in the race. Um, and, you know, you're, those are two of, you know, two of the top jack, uh, trainers going right now. Uh, Brad Cox is a really young trainer that's made a lot of noise recently. And then you have uh, Steve Asmussen, who's the winningest trainer of all time. Um, and he's got a couple of horses in this race as well. But, um, yeah, the quality of trainers in this race, you know. Well, here's the thing that you don't have. Again, you don't have Bob Baffert. Yeah, you don't have Baffert. arguably the best trainer. Yeah. Baffert's still, ser- you know, serving a two-year ban by Churchill Downs. And, um, you know, a good friend of mine just gotten a little trouble with Churchill. I don't want to go into that too much, but um, uh, he his horses got uh, scratched out of this race. And um, But you still have a quality field. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of value in this, and that's why when I make my plays, I'm going to 
you know, I'm going to give you two horses that I'm going to use first and second and reverse them and, you know, box them. And then I'm going to, I'm also going to use a lot of horses in trifectas and even a superfectus just so people can, <laughs> okay. you know, not expensive tickets, but maybe right. we can cash big. Let's get to, um, let's just get to your pick. Who's winning the race? All right. So my, I, I said my top pick is Tapatry. Right. He's my number one pick. Okay. Uh, the five who horse. is the five horse. The 14-horse Angel of Empire uh, really like this horse. Again, he's out of that deputy minister pedigree that we talked about earlier. Uh, I'm using him second and going to box those two in exactas. Uh, and I'm also using the two verifying. Verifying the two came second to Tappet Trice in, a real, in, a, in, in, in just a really big contentious race in the bluegrass. Uh, like four weeks ago. And um, so, you know, and that's on paper and by the numbers of when you're, when you're looking and studying races, the bluegrass has come out as the fastest race of all the prep races for the Derby. So I got to use the two horse as well. So what I'm doing is I'm picking Tappet Trice on top to win, which is the five horse. I'm going to box him in exactors with a four, two and 14. And um, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna do one saver bet just because I think the 22 horse Mandarin Hero, who's 20 to one morning line, I I just think he might run first or second as as that surprise price horse. And you know, again, we're not gonna get 80 to one, but I'm gonna sprinkle him around in exactas with those three horses. Which which so, which horse were you just bet. talking about? Were you just saying the 22 horse? Yeah, the twenty-two horse Mandarin, Mandarin hero. hero. Okay, so you're gonna yeah. in, in your superfecta, you're gonna spread that around with the five, the two, the fourteen. Well, yeah. The, let, let me let me. I'll, I'll be real quick. This is what I'm gonna do in okay. a trifecta. Okay, trifecta is is okay. You go ahead. The exacta. The you, the, you you got two exactas. You got the five two and the five fourteen, right? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Trifecta. And then we're going to, tri- in the trifecta, I'm going to key the five, and that means I'm going to key him on top, so he has to win. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to play him over the 2, 8, 11, 12, 14, 17, 22. Huh. Okay, that's seven horses. If they let you do it for 50 cents, it's a $21 bet. If you can only do it for a dollar, it's a $42 bet. Right. If that hits... That's where you're gonna get you're gonna get four figures plus on that one. All right, you got it. Uh, Tap it, Trice is the pick, the five horse. Uh, Eddie's got him uh, with the two horse and the fourteen horse and exactas, and then you've got um, the five, two, eight, eleven, twelve, fourteen, seventeen, and twenty-two, and a bunch of trifectas. Yep, and uh, and and next next time we'll well let's see if this hits. We we we've had pretty good success, so I appreciate the time, Kevin, as always, and uh, hopefully we can do it again for the Preakness, and maybe this summer we'll get you up to uh, Saratoga so we can have a little fun up there. I know that Saratoga apparently is a blast, and I've never done it before, so that would be a lot of fun. Um, great job well, as all always. All your boys go there. All your boys go there. I know they do. I know a lot. Of, not not my sons, but a lot of my friends go up there all the time. Yes, they do. Yeah, your um, friends. Yeah, maybe uh, we can. Maybe maybe you and Lowe's can come up this time. <laughs> well, you know, 
Uh, just don't make me room with him. Um, at Notebook Picks, uh, and that's Notebook Picks by Eddie C. Follow him on Twitter, uh, and we'll have him back before the Preakness. Great job. Talk to you soon. Hope you're well. Appreciate it, Kevin. Good job by Eddie C. Uh, thanks to Nikki Javala as well. Uh, Tommy will be with me on Monday. I'll have my mock schedule next week on Wednesday. Uh, the schedule will be released, uh, according to Adam Schefter anyway, next Thursday night. Uh, back on Monday. Have a great weekend.